My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 138. Hey folks, welcome to another edition of My Car Guru. This is Lenny Lawson, the Car Guru. And my goal today is to educate you a little bit on some terminology. I had a phone call from a customer the other day, just curiosity phone call. Say, Lenny, do you understand the difference between horsepower and torque? Because I don't, but I do. Uh, speaking of me, I do understand the difference between horsepower and torque, and they're pretty important numbers, more so when it comes to trucks, people who haul and tow stuff, but also to the average person who wants their car to accelerate rapidly and to go fast. Because that's basically the difference between horsepower and torque. The higher the horsepower, the faster the car will go. The higher the torque, the quicker it will get there. Does that make sense? Now, there are so many other factors that will influence the performance of a car, truck, or whatever. When it comes to sports cars, for example, let's just go there like a like the new Mustang Dark Horse. I mean, it has about 500 horsepower. That's a big number. When you think about what the numbers were back in the 60s, I mean, I've got a 1966 Mustang K-Code. It was, other than a Shelby GT350, it was the most powerful Mustang you could get. It had a, let's see, 271 horsepower. So needless to say, the dark horse that I have in my showroom at Gateway Ford will run off and leave the 66 K-Code. Um, there's not even any comparison. Zero to 60 time for the uh, for the dark horse is about 3.5 seconds. For the 1966 Mustang with the hottest engine you could get at the time, it's about seven seconds to 60 miles an hour. So torque is the twisting force of an engine. So if you look at a crankshaft, which is in the bottom of the engine that's spinning because it's connected to the pistons that are going up and down, uh, the twisting force of that crankshaft is what puts the force all the way back, generates the force that goes back to the rear wheels. That twisting force is measured by torque. So if there's more force at lower speeds, like on a diesel truck, for example, um, an F-250 with the 6.7 liter diesel engine has a tremendous amount of torque at a very low RPM. And that's what you need to be able to get a load moving down the road. You know, a lot of people say, well, why would somebody spend seven or $8,000 more for a diesel engine that gets worse fuel economy than a gasoline engine and obviously cost a lot more? Why would somebody want to do that? Well, it's because of the torque. It's because that they can get more work out of a diesel truck. It'll pull a heavier load and it will accelerate better. It just performs overall better. Now, sometimes you will get better fuel economy when you are towing with a diesel engine than you will with a gasoline engine. You know, all of these over-the-road tractors, tractor trailers, they're all diesels. Now, Elon Musk with Tesla is trying to create a fully electric uh, semi-truck. Um, you know, they've uh, got a lot of orders, but they haven't done hardly any deliveries yet. They're still testing it because the problem, as you can imagine, is range. Uh, their goal is to have 500 miles of range with this Tesla semi-tractor trailer rig. 
So we shall see whether that happens or not. Of course, that would be a huge game changer when it comes to emissions and what's getting poured into the atmosphere because all you have to do is drive down the interstate and see how many trucks are on the road. Just imagine if all those were electric as opposed to being diesel. So that's one good thing uh, about electric. The, the downside is where's all that juice going to come from? Where's the power going to come from? Well, it's got to come from electric power stations that produce that like TVA and so forth. And unless there's nuclear or wind or water power, then that's created by the burning of fossil fuels, coal, natural gas. So there's a lot to be discussed there, but we won't go there today. We're going to work on some more terminology right after this break. Okay, I am back. You know, when most people buy a car, they have to finance it, don't they? They have to either go to a bank or a credit union, go get the money, and then go pay for the car. Or they go to a dealership, uh, submit a credit application. The dealership gets them approved through a bank, and uh, they're able to buy the car that way. Well, what happens is the most customers switch their focus away from what they're really paying for the car onto what they're paying per month. And it is a dangerous thing to do. It's certainly... Uh, the worst way in the world to buy a car is to focus on the monthly payment. And I beat that like a dead horse here on this radio show. Try to get people to separate the transaction. So I'm going to give you some of the terminology that dealers use to uh, confuse sometimes customers. And I want you to understand the words that are coming out of their mouth. Okay, so are you ready? Now, this probably seems very basic, but the first thing that a person needs to negotiate on, the first number that they need to talk about is the selling price. Okay, so the selling price could be MSRP, the manufacturer's suggested retail price on the window sticker. It could be more than that, or it could be less than that. And one of the things that's going to really reduce that price is going to be any rebates or incentives that are in play when you go in to buy that car. So focus on the selling price and look at that in relation to the MSRP. I mean, if you're buying something, you know, if it's a really scarce vehicle, then if you're paying MSRP, that could be a good deal because there are other dealers that are charging more than MSRP. So you have to kind of research that. But once you get down to a reasonable selling price, let's say it's a, a car, just a regular passenger car, and there's not a high demand for it, and you're able to get, uh, I don't know, $2,000 off of MSRP. So that is your sales price. That's what you're paying for the car not counting any trade-in or anything like that, okay? So that's an important number. Then you look at the rebate, what rebates are applicable, and you subtract that from the sales price. And that is your net sales price. Are you with me so far? Okay. Notice that we have not talked about the trade-in yet. You don't even talk about the trade until you get a good sales price. Uh, then it's time to see what they will pay you for your trade off of whatever the sales price is. So let's say they have agreed to a, I don't know, they're going to give you uh, $50,000 for your vehicle off of an $80,000 sale price. So the trade difference between those two is $30,000. Well, are they giving you enough money for your trade-in? You know, that's where you have to do some work, where you have to 
uh, either go around from dealership to dealership and get people to make you offers on the vehicle, which a lot of dealers are buying vehicles off the street right now. I do every day. Well, not every day, probably every other day. We're buying something that, that somebody wants to get rid of for one reason or another. So you either do that or you just go online and see what vehicles like yours are selling for. I mean, it may be a situation where you know you go on Auto Trader or Car Gurus and you put in uh, the year, make, and model of the vehicle that you have and look at what other people are asking for vehicles uh, that are just like yours. And then back, back it off a little bit. I mean, because the dealership is not going to pay you a retail value for your trade-in once you have already negotiated the selling price down. Uh, one of the ways that dealers make money is by reselling used cars. It's a very important part of the, of the overall profit for a dealership. You could go on Kelly Blue Book and see what average trade-in is for a vehicle like yours. But you, you've really got to make sure you're comparing apples and apples. If you're really not sure and you want a firm offer, you can call me, 423-552-2020. I am a new car dealer. Uh, I trade for cars. I buy cars all the time. And the number that I give you is what I will write you a check for. So that's one sure way to find out what your vehicle is actually worth. Take that number, subtract it from the sale price that you've already negotiated, and then you've got something to work with. Yeah, but I need to finance my car. I know you need to finance your car. And the dealership probably knows that you need to finance a car. So where would you rather start from? Would you rather start from where you're, what you're actually paying for the car? Or do you want to start from a monthly payment that could have no relevance to the, to the sale price or the trade allowance? All it has to do is, is with the, the term that you're uh, paying it for, like anywhere from 60 months to, who knows, 120 months, the interest rate that they're going to charge and the amount financed. We, we're not even to the amount financed yet. We've got to get there first. Before we start talking about monthly payments, are you with? Okay, let's get to the amount financed. What else do we need to know? Well, we need to know what your payoff is on your car, on your existing car. I mean, you owe money to the bank on the car. Now, we've already talked about the $80,000 sale price, the $50,000 trade value that they're being paid for, and you've got a $30,000 difference. Well, how do you figure the amount financed on this? Well, you add back your payoff. Whatever your payoff is, it's not just going to go poof and go into the air. You take the trade difference, add it to your payoff, and then that's the number that you finance. You, you, you do have to add tax. I'm sorry. You've got to take your trade difference, multiply that by, well, in the state of Tennessee, it's 7.5%. And, uh, and then there's a uh, local option tax of 2.5% of the first $1,600, I believe. Amounts to about 44 bucks. So you add that to the uh, your sales tax calculation. Remember, in Tennessee, I don't know about other states, but in Tennessee, you only pay sales tax on the trade difference. That's real easy to calculate, 7.5% times that. Now, if they have any other fees, like a documentary fee, processing fee, whatever they call it, then you're going to add that in too. And now you know how much you're going to be financing, and you can calculate payments online. You can do that yourself. You can go to bankrate.com, uh, put in the selling price, the trade value. If you're paying any money down, you can throw that in too because you won't be financing that. That's going to reduce the amount financed. Put in your payoff and then it'll calculate your payments based on the best rate you can get and the term that you want. 
See, what a lot of dealers do is they'll, if they're trying to switch you over to payment, then their first quote to you might be for 72 months, okay? If you say, well, that's too much, then they'll go back to the sales tower, talk to the sales manager and say, hey, boss, they said that's too much. He'll just bump it from 72 months to 84 months. See what they think of this. And what are you thinking when he comes back with a lower monthly payment? You're thinking he dropped the price. No, he didn't. He just extended the term and all of that money, all of those extra payments comes out of your pocket, not out of his. You want money out of his pocket. You want him to make the cuts. You don't want to be the one that has to, to sacrifice. So uh, you stick to your guns. You say, no, no, I want to go 72 months. I'm not going any more than 72 months. And I want that same payment, but I want it based on the selling price, the trade allowance, my payoff, and the, and the taxes. Because another problem in the car business is payment packing. We've talked about that as well. Well, what's that? Well, that's where they put an extended warranty in there. They put gap insurance in there. They put old tire and wheel protection, dent and ding protection. You know, they got all these packages, which to me, a lot of those have really good value as long as they're not overpriced. But I don't want to be talking about that yet. It's too soon. I want to wait till I get in the finance office to be adding that stuff. And if a dealer goes ahead and loads that into a monthly payment and quotes you a monthly payment and doesn't disclose that those things are in there, that is a sick bird. You know what a sick bird is? An illegal. It's illegal. They're not supposed to do that. It's not only illegal, it's unethical. So the poor customer is just tickled to death. They got a new car. They're driving home. They they're, they wanted three fifty a month, but they ended up at four fifty a month, and they've decided not to go on vacation next year to pay for that. You know that extra. Well, they still end up going on vacation, and plus their insurance costs more. They didn't bother to check on that to see what that was going to go up. You know, insurance rates have gone up on cars because it's a whole lot more expensive to repair some of these new modern cars than it used to be. When you've got headlights that used to sell for fifteen dollars a pair. And now just one side is $2,000. Uh, insurance companies have to raise the rates. So they're making monthly payments on a car that they can't afford because they weren't paying attention to the right things. It's sad. I mean, they all need to take me along with them. That salesperson would be in shock. Total, who's this guy? Well, I, I just decided to bring my guru with me. What makes him a guru? Well, he's a he's a car dealer. He knows he knows how you guys operate. You know, I, I did have a guy call me one time from the dealership. Well, I, I take that back. It's been more than one time, but this was it was really funny, and I helped him negotiate a deal. It was a Volvo dealership, believe it or not, and he'd listen to this radio show. He just wanted to see if it really worked. Well, it works if you use me. Okay, I'll take my last break and be back here in just a minute. You know, it's really not hard to see how so many people get confused. All this terminology, you know, trade difference, ACV, trade-in value, payoffs, negative equity, upside down. You ever had a salesperson come and say, hey, you're upside down. Why doesn't he just say that it looks like you might owe more on your vehicle than it's worth? It's just we get so used to this terminology, and the customers don't always know what we're talking about. You know, we assume in the car business 
that they know all these terms and that, you know, because we're trading for cars, we're buying and selling and trading cars every day. That's what we do for a living. And you might do it every four five or 10 years. And so you need to, to uh, do a little research before you walk into the hornet's nest. Okay, let's see what else here. You know, one of the things I like to talk about too is the ter- not only terminology in the sales department that can get you out of sorts, but in the service department as well. You know, when you walk into a lot of service departments, and it's not just car dealerships, it's independent shops too. I guess the good ones want to give you everything you need, or not give you, sell you everything that you need and nothing more. So they want to take care of your problem. You know, if you've got a check engine light, they want to diagnose what the cause is and you know, re- replace the defective parts and send you on your happy way so that you will give them a good Google rating, say something nice about them on Facebook, and then ultimately when your car malfunctions in some way, you'll take it back to them. That should be their motive, not to scalp you, you know, when you come in. But a lot of shops look at that opportunity and say, you know, I need to sell these people a flush. Well, what's a flush? Well, that's, you know, there's several different types of flushes. That's what that's, it sounds just like it. Well, it is what it sounds like. Like when you flush the toilet, all that water goes out. Well, that's what they want to do. They want to flush certain things like the transmission, the power steering, uh, the coolant lines and the, and the coolant in your engine, a complete engine flush, brake lines, fuel system. You know, and some of those flushes are totally unnecessary. And don't need to be done. Um, you know, if you maintain your car on a regular basis, change the filters, do what you're supposed to do. The only flush that I would be interested in on that list is a coolant flush. Because I think that when you replace the coolant in your engine, uh, you think you're replacing all of it, but there's a lot of nooks and crannies inside that engine that you're not getting to. And the best way to do it is to do a power flush, get all that old uh, coolant and all that rust particles and stuff that are in your engine and get it out of there before you put new coolant in there. So out of all of those, that's really the only one that I would consider doing to my car. You know, if I have a non-serviceable transmission, I might consider that. You know, some of the transmissions they build today, they're just lifetime fluid. You know, and you can drain the fluid out. You just have to have a mechanic do it. It's just not something that the average person can tackle. But, um, you know, I would just really check the forums online. I would uh, talk to the dealer. I said, is this really necessary to flush my transmission? All that power steering and brake flushes and all that stuff, uh, I'm not a fan, okay? You know, another thing that used to be a big deal back in the old days was tune-up. We still have some old-timers come in and say, hey, I need a tune-up. You know, when I first started in the car business in, let's see, 1970, well, I started writing service as a service advisor in 1976, and back then, the average car needed to tune up every 12,500 miles. So that was replacing the points, plugs, condenser, and um, what else? Oh, replacing the uh, fuel filter and all of the air filters, sometimes the belts on the car as well. That was a lot. You know how, how often your car needs a tune-up now? Never. I mean, the only thing that we would do now would be to replace your spark plugs. And that's recommended at about 100,000 miles. On some cars, it might be 75,000 miles. What's changed? Fuel, gasoline quality, 
oil quality, uh, fuel injection, you know, a lot of different things that they've done to improve the efficiency of engines. Um, the onboard computers, keeping things operating uh, the way they should at different temperatures and different uh, levels of pressure in the environment. Uh, all of those things are being calibrated and recalibrated as you're going down the road, and, and cars just run cleaner than they ever did. So if you go in and ask for a tune-up, you might have a service advisor look at you and say, uh, what exactly do you mean by a tune-up? Because it's just not something that's that's common today, just so you know. So one thing that I want to encourage you to do is if somebody, if you go into a car dealership and they're throwing around a bunch of terms that you don't understand, give them the timeout sign and say, listen, you need to slow down and explain this to me on my level. Don't be embarrassed to do that. I used to have to do it. When I first got in the car business, I had no clue what I was talking about as far as engines and tune-ups and, and front-end alignments and all that kind of stuff. I didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't know the difference between a payoff and a birdhouse. So don't be embarrassed to ask. And if you don't want to ask them, ask me, 423-552-2020 or LennyLawson2020 at gmail.com, and I'll answer your questions embarrassment-free. Well, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.